Hardship and faith are two tough words to put together. Uh, people lose their faith over the reality of hardship. One atheist uh, had formerly been a follower of Christ. He let his faith deconstruct because, simply because he couldn't put together hardship and faith. Why would a good God allow suffering? And uh, He had a friend, though, that was a Christian philosopher, and that Christian philosopher one day asked him, he says, so um, how's that going for you? Uh, has your atheism offered you a better resolution to the problem of suffering? And his honest answer was, actually, the problem gets worse without God. Because there's no reason then that anything should be different and there's no justice. Back in the 16th century, um, the Mennonites, the Christian Mennonites, were being persecuted in Holland. And when they'd be arrested, they were usually executed. One of those Mennonites was Dirk Willens. And he was being pursued by uh, somebody who's trying to capture him, arrest him. And they were running actually across a frozen lake. And all of a sudden, the ice broke underneath the feet of his pursuer, and he fell into the icy water. And uh, Willens heard the cry for help. And so he turned around and went back and rescued his pursuer from the waters. And his pursuer was both grateful and astonished that Willens would do this. But he still arrested him anyway. And three days later, in the town of Aspirin in Holland, uh, Dirk Willens was burned at the stake for the simple reason that he was Christ-like. And you wonder, how does that go together? It doesn't seem right. And so we're going to be wrestling with this uh, today and over the next few days and a few Sundays. And it's not... It's a series where I hope faith shines brighter than hardship in the end. I want us to be a people of overcoming faith. But hardship is a reality, and hardship is part of the process in our lives. And so today I'm going to talk about endurance. Endurance is one of those things that circles around the realities of hardship and faith. And usually hardship and faith operate the same time in our lives. It's always joy and grief. It's hardship and faith. And we, we, uh, we sometimes need to just endure it. Next week, I want to talk about lament. The week after that, about discipline, the discipline of the Lord, the role of hardship there. And then finally, loneliness, the hardship of loneliness. But today, we're going to look at that word endurance, a very fun word, endurance, right? And it comes up for us in a verse that's captured my attention the last couple of years. I keep going back to this verse. It's in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 5. 2 Timothy is the second letter that Paul writes to Timothy, obviously. And uh, it's probably his last letter to Timothy. Uh, Paul is in prison when he writes this. He's about to die himself. And he's coaching Timothy. He had left Timothy at the church of Ephesus to fix some really serious problems in that church. And in verse 5 of 2 Timothy 4, he, he writes, as a good mentor, as a good coach, he writes, but you, Timothy... Keep your head in all situations. And there it is. Endure hardship. And do the work of an evangelist. And discharge all the duties of your ministry. Now, three of those four pieces of advice make a lot of sense to me. Uh, the first one, it, it, it'd be good, whether you lead anything or not, it's always good advice just to stay cool and keep your head. <laughs> Just don't overreact. 
just don't let people push your buttons. Don't end up saying something you're going to regret later. So just keep your head, Timothy. And do the work of an evangelist. Timothy was there because there was a lot of false doctrine creeping into the church that was leading people away from the simplicity of love for Jesus and his saving grace and the fact that he was coming again. And that's the gospel. And evangelist proclaims the gospel. And he's saying, so you need, you need to keep bringing that church back to, the, back to the gospel. You need to keep bringing people you meet to the gospel. Do the work of an evangelist. That makes sense. And, uh, and you know, discharge all the duties of your ministry. That's good advice, too. Like, like I know it's tough, and, and apparently Timothy didn't feel well a lot of the time. He had stomach problems. Uh, there were people who thought he was too young to be their pastor. I mean, this guy just had his share of challenges. And some of Paul's other traveling companions that he will name in this book, in this letter, had already deserted Paul. And prob Paul was probably just secretly hoping Timothy wouldn't do the same thing. So he's saying, Timothy, finish what you started. That's amazing advice for any of us too. Just discharge everything that you're responsible to do. Just keep your hand to the plow. That's all great advice. The piece of advice that I have the most trouble with is those two words that, that are especially what have captured my attention in the last two years. Endure hardship. I mean, keep your head, be an evangelist, stay faithful as a pastor, but endure hardship. Let's look at the word hardship, first of all. Endure hardship. That's a hard word, because it's hard. Because there's always pain in enduring hardship. Life's just because you know Jesus, life's not easy. In fact, just as once, we're going to jump out of 2 Timothy and go to another letter that Paul writes this time to the Corinthians. And he says this, talking about hardship. He says, five, five different times the Jewish leaders gave me, Paul said, 39 lashes. I mean, that's horrible. I mean, being lashed 39 times once would be bad enough, let alone five times. Your back would like, look like nothing better than sausage and three times I was beaten with rods once I was stoned three times I was shipwrecked three times once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea I have traveled on many long journeys I have faced danger from rivers and from robbers I have faced danger from my own people the Jews as well as from the Gentiles that would be everybody. I have faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, on the seas. I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers. They were supposed to have been on my side, and they turned out not to be. I've worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I've been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Then besides all this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. So here Paul gives us his list, his rather intimidating list of hardship. He has physical hardship because he's getting beaten up a lot and the physical hardships of travel in the ancient world. He lists all that, including shipwrecks and everything else. And then he talks about emotional pain. People who I thought were on my side turned their back on me and stabbed me in the back. And not only that, because whenever you love, you're going to hurt. He said it's the care for all the churches. And he calls that, believe it or not, his daily burden. His daily burden. 
But the amazing thing to me is Paul doesn't even suggest that that contradicts the fact that God loves him and cares for him. I mean, I mean, he just integrates those two apparent contradictions. Neither does he say, you know, I have my moments. I was saying to God, you know, God, I'm doing everything right. I'm really trying to obey you. I'm not living like the world. I'm trying to be what you want me to be. And then you allow all this stuff to happen. I mean, my body's always hurting. My heart's always hurting. I mean, why? why? What's going on? Instead, Paul will say to Timothy when it comes to hardship, endure it. (laughs) Endure hardship. Let's look at those two words again. Endure hardship. Now, if there's a word we like less than we like the word hardship, it would be the word endure. Please don't say endure. I mean, hardship for a few minutes, okay. But endure? I mean, it doesn't sound very victorious. It doesn't sound like triumph. It doesn't sound like half the songs we sing on Sunday morning. I've overcome in him. He's my victory. He's delivered me. He's my healer. And next Sunday, I'm going to talk about why we sing some of those songs. But endurance doesn't sound like half the songs we even sing. It's just endure it, even though it doesn't sound like having much faith. But may I submit to you, that may be more faith than any other kind of faith. Where you stay faithful and honoring to Jesus and you sing in your heart this morning, you are worthy of it all. Yet your body's still hurting and no amount of praying seems to be getting rid of it yet. A lot of reasons for suffering. We're in a spiritual battle and our bodies are broken and our world is broken. So hurricanes hit us as well as other people. Tornadoes and earthquakes and a medical, we, we all get medical. We, we're in frail bodies and all of these things. And he is the healer. He is breaking in on us. And our faith always defaults to Jesus. I need you to break in. But when you can't pray away, when God's not your puppet, when, when you just can't figure him out, when Jesus just sort of sticks in your throat and you don't know what to do with him and all you've got is him, Paul says, he looks at all his suffering and says, so what? Just endure hardship. Just endure hardship. Because first of all, you ought not to be surprised that life with Jesus is hard. Life with Jesus can be hard. Just because it's with Jesus, it doesn't mean it's not hard. In fact, when Paul says endure hardness there in verse 5 of chapter 4, He's just finished saying in the previous chapter to Timothy, it's there in chapter 3, verse 12. He says, in fact, for instance, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be, there's your hardship word, persecuted. And sometimes you can't faith away persecution. I've heard some extreme teaching in faith that said, if the Apostle Paul really had faith, he wouldn't have been shipwrecked, he wouldn't have been whipped, he wouldn't have ever been cold or hungry, because God, if he had faith in God, God would have provided for him. And I'm afraid Paul here is saying, I disagree with that. He said, the fact is, Jesus said, if they hate me, they're going to hate you too. And sometimes you can't faith away. Paul apparently couldn't faith away five whippings. But he endured and this, this is part of what it's about. Now, this is a hard subject, and I've hesitated talking about it, because we don't have a lot of persecution in America. Well, we have some, but 
you know, and I'm going to keep voting, and I hope you do too, and I hope we keep contending, contending for religious freedom in America. But I don't know that we're going to have it with the direction our culture is going for a long time. In which case, our context may become more like the first century's church's context. Well, you really did pay a price to stay loyal to Jesus. And I know some of you are already beginning to experience that. Some of you have lost jobs. Like my father had a career end. He was fired and ended an entire fast-track career to, national, to a national leadership position in his business because of a boss that just detested the fact that he loved Jesus. Some of you have lost jobs for that reason. Some of you are not getting promotions because of spiritual discrimination against you. I heard about a high school, I don't know who she is, but a high school girl in our own church was talking about, I've lost most of my friends this year because I'm a Christian. You know, it's hard. may not be being whipped, but it's hard to eat a lunch all alone in high school. And there's a price we pay for following Jesus. And I fear, whereas COVID kind of, they say, wiped out 20% of Christian, 20% of people who attend a church and apparently love Jesus have nothing to do with Jesus now post-COVID just because it was too easy to stay home and we had to stay home for a few months and, and it accelerated spiritual drift and I'm going, if we can't handle a little spiritual drift and a little laziness, how are we going to handle persecution? And so God's calling us to say hardship may well be a very part of what it takes to stay faithful to Jesus. But he says to Timothy in the first chapter, and this is part of the reason he's writing this letter to Timothy. He says in verse 8 of chapter 1, so do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me as prisoner. Don't be ashamed. Rather, join with me in suffering. And, and Paul, why did you write me this second letter? You already wrote me the first letter. That's first Timothy. You gave me plenty to work on in the first letter. Why on earth would you write me a second letter? And there's the reason. Paul says, please, unlike some of my other ministry partners, please join me in suffering. What an altar call that is. Would you please come forward and join Jesus in suffering? It doesn't ring in a consumer church. It rings in a crucified church where we understand that in Christ we die to the old. We don't live for ourselves anymore. This is not me consuming my favorite music or my favorite sermons or my favorite speakers. This is me dying to the old so that in resurrection power, I live for the new no matter what it costs me. Timothy, join me in suffering. And it's an honor to suffer. Many parts of the world today still believe it's an honor to suffer. I was in Cairo a few weeks, a uh, couple of years ago. Actually, it was just before COVID. And I was, uh, I was part of a training session for many of our assemblies. We've got missionaries on the ground that were going, preparing to go out in teams to plant churches in really hard places, in unreached parts of our world. And so there's probably, they had, their, and they had their weekly gatherings on Thursday night for worship and prayer and preaching. And so I'd been asked to preach that night. It was the Thursday night gathering. See, Kevin and Kathy down here, they've been in many of those gatherings there in Cairo. And, um, we had wonderful worship, and there were some prophetic words and just things. And then, and then they, 
And then they introduced a visiting African pastor. He was an African evangelist who had just arrived in Cairo. He lived just south of the Sahara Desert in a very restricted country where the church was actively being persecuted. And he had gotten out. And the amazing thing about this guy was he was going to go back, knowing it could cost his life. So they inter- before I, I speak, they, inter- they, they introduce him and invite him to share a few words with the group. So he gets up. And he starts talking about the persecution in his country. And uh, then he starts, he said just yesterday, was it yesterday or the day before, that a pastor's wife that had been arrested because she would not renounce Christ had just been released from prison. While, they were, while she was in prison, they had tortured her by putting out their cigarette butts on her back. Every time another cigarette was put out on her back, she would have screamed. And then the guy of all things pulls out a picture and shows it to everybody. And it was a picture of her back and you could see all the pain, all the burn marks all over her back. Then they said, now it's time for Pastor Jim to speak. I don't think I have ever wanted to preach less in my life than that moment. I thought, who am I? I feel unworthy of that. But Paul says to Timothy, will you join me in suffering? And will you you not be ashamed? Whereas in Western culture, we are obsessed with eliminating pain. Will you not be ashamed? Will you take it on as an honor to suffer hardship for me? And you can't think that way if you're just a Christian consumer. Jesus often starts with meeting our needs. And then he he recruits us to his service and invites us to join with him in suffering. That's part of the message. That's part of the message. But partly that is the message because it's exactly that that drives us back into the arms of Jesus. Right after, just a few verses after saying, join me, Timothy, in suffering. He says, of this, verse 11, of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame. Because I know who I've believed. And I'm persuaded. I'm confident. I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day. I want you to circle those last two words. That day. That day. Paul says, I know who I have believed. He writes it in a past continuous sense in the Greek. And it's like, I made up my mind what my life's about. I'm serving Jesus and I'm still serving him to this day. And I plan on serving him tomorrow, whatever it costs me. I know who I have believed. And it's just not some strange God who's indifferent to our pain and indifferent to our suffering. I love how Stan Jones, the former provost of Wheaton College, put it. God doesn't seem to be interested in getting off the hook. In fact, the answer of God in Jesus Christ to the problem of suffering is not to get off the hook at all, but rather to impale himself. That's the cross, to impale himself on the hook of human suffering. 
with us in the very midst of our suffering, when trouble comes and places a giant question mark over our existence, we should remember Jesus and the empathy of the cross. Our pain can drive us into the arms of a loving Lord who, like Isaiah said, he was acquainted with suffering. He, he, he was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. He bore our transgressions in himself. This is what he did. He suffered on our behalf. He took our sicknesses. He took our sin on himself on the cross. And, and this is amazing to me. The God we serve has scars. He has scars. Because he meets us in our pain, in our brokenness. And you can, when you can't figure out why God's allowing certain hardship in your life right now, whether it be persecution or all the other reasons, maybe prayer in your life's not being answered right now, and, and all you're having to do is endure, either give up on God or you endure. It's in the midst of that enduring, you do it in the name of the Lord, who's not indifferent to your suffering, who understands, who has scars himself. And so his arms become safe for you. Some of the deepest intimacy I've experienced with Jesus has been when my heart's hurting. It's when I've been going through those hard times. And I could spit in his face or I could run into his arms. And I found it's, it's going to the Jesus who's acquainted with sorrow and grief. It's running into his arms because of suffering that I have sometimes found the deepest places of intimacy with Jesus because his arms are safe. His arms are safe. Not only that, but he says, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I've entrusted unto him against that day. I know who I have believed. And I'm convinced that he is able to keep everything in my life entrusted to him. He's entrusted to me the ministry of the gospel. And I've entrusted back to him my life. And he is able to keep what I've entrusted to him until that day, until that day. There's those two words, until that day. And that day, that day, quote unquote, is a game-changing perspective for all of us. Because there is coming a day when Jesus is gonna come again. That's what that day is. And you know, right, Jesus' first sermon was the kingdom of God is at hand, so repent and believe. And so the kingdom of heaven's breaking in on us. That's why we prayed this morning for people for healing and deliverance from demonic power and for God's intervention. And, and this is it. The kingdom of heaven's breaking in, but the kingdom of this age is still here. And we're in a battle. And Paul says, until that day, hardship's not necessarily going to disappear. Until that day, we run into the arms of Jesus. We know who we believe. Our confidence, our anchor is there. But then our perspective is that day. That means, that means that we keep thinking eternity all the time because it's not over yet. I don't know what you're enduring right now. I don't know what, what, what you know, you just, you've been believing God is not changing yet. And I don't know what you might be going through with some of your friends who hate your Christianity. But all I know is that the fact that you may have hardship and may even need to endure it. You can't pray it away. can't fast it away. You can't faith it away. He's just calling you and endure. All I know is that endurance is going to seem like a pretty short period of time compared to eternity. And that he is breaking in. 
but that day he will break in fully. And even our bodies are going to be transformed. Every one of us are going to be totally healed. Every one of us are going to be totally set free from the dominion of darkness. Because on that day, Jesus is coming back to set up his kingdom. And he said, I know who I believe. And I'm convinced that he's able to keep me. Sure, I got whipped five times. Sure, I got shipwrecked three times. Sure, my, my ministry partner stabbed me in the back. Sure, I can't figure it all out. But all I know is that I'm safe until that day, because I'm in the arms of Jesus. And this is not the end of the story yet. This is not the end of the story yet. So we keep thinking eternity, because it's not over yet. And that's why right after that verse, where, where, where Paul tells Timothy in chapter 4 to endure hardship, right after that verse, he says, for I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. That's a rather eloquent way of saying Caesar is about to chop my head off, which happened shortly after this. He was executed by the Romans. He said, I can tell the end's coming. But now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me when? On that day. There it is again. He's able to keep me for that day. And he's got a crown of righteousness that on that day, not when my life improves here, but on that day, he's going to crowd me with righteousness. And not only to me, and then he includes all of us, not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearance. Now may I say the more comfortable life is here, the less we long for heaven or else we long for heaven. Some of the great spirituals we sometimes love to sing, written by the African-American community during those horrible days of slavery, when such evil had engulfed our nation. They would sing songs. Many of them were driven into the arms of Jesus in their hardship. And they had no prospect of a better life here, in spite of the goodness of God. And so all the spirituals were not about this life, they were about heaven. Songs like Swing Low, Sweet Cherry, coming for to carry me where? Home. Home was not the hut that they went back to after a long day in the cotton fields. Home was that day. It was heaven. And they longed for heaven. On the other side of that coin, Sandy and I, for 12 years, we lived in Southern California, where I pastored a wonderful church. And Southern California, we were living just south of Los Angeles in Orange County. It's a very affluent area. The temperature was always 75 and sunny. As one friend of mine who was a professor at Vanguard University said, oh, another boring day in paradise. It was kind of like living in paradise down there. So one day I got up, three services in a row on a Sunday morning, I tried to preach about heaven. Poured my heart out, three services in a row, about heaven. And I knew I wasn't connecting. And normally if Sandy has something critical to say about the sermon, she'll wait till Wednesday. But if she has a good thing to say about the sermon, she tells me on the way home. And I appreciate that. Thank you, honey. <laughs> this time, I don't know if it's critical or not, but on the way home, she only had two words about the sermon. Tough sell. <laughs> when you live in paradise, heaven's a tough sell. 
But I guarantee you if our religious liberties ever get taken away from us, God forbid. I guarantee if God doesn't, I had a lady say, I refuse to serve a God who doesn't bless me and give me what I want. I guarantee you if God calls you to take up the cross, I've watched some of you, you've endured much more than I have. And you've stayed faithful to Jesus. But I want to tell you, there's a that day coming. And sometimes when everything's easy, and God seems to always just, you know, we bark and he jumps. You know, sometimes it's very easy to learn to lose our yearning for heaven and for that day. That's why I love the words of an old hymn, Oh, love that will not let me go, George, George Matheson so poetically put it. Oh, joy that seeks me through pain. Joy is still after us. The overcoming Christ is still after us, even through pain, when we don't seem to see his face. Oh, joy that seeks me through pain. I cannot close my heart to thee. I trace the rainbow through the rain and feel the promise is not vain that morn shall tearless be. That's that day. Where the psalmist writes, weeping may last for a night, but joy comes in the morning. These are more than platitudes. I'm trying to live like Jesus could come this afternoon. And so I'm trusting him with my whole heart. Trusting him with everything in my life for what he did on the cross for me. And I don't want to just lose my faith. I don't want to deconstruct just because Jesus asked me to endure some things till that day. I want to keep my eye on the big picture. I'd like you to bow your head, close your eyes just for a moment.